Jesus Christ stood here on the Mount of Olives some 2,000 years ago. Jesus was the greatest of the prophets. And as he looked down upon this glorious city of Jerusalem with the magnificent temple of King Herod, he could see into the future. He could see this city blazing on fire, being destroyed by the Romans. And the heart of God just went out to these people. And Jesus cried out, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those that are sent to you, how often I would have gathered you together, even as a mother hen gathers her little chickens under her wings, but you would not. I want you to think of those words, but you would not. Even Almighty God cannot force people to go against their will. God has given to every one of us freedom of choice. We can choose Him if we desire, and we can reject Him if we desire. He will never force the will. His heart had worked for years upon the heart of these people. His Spirit had ministered to them, but they would not. And even an almighty God cannot go against the will of a human being. You and I, my friend, all have choices. We make them every day. But the greatest choice is for Christ. And Jesus Christ stands before you today and he says, Will you follow me? But he will never, my friend, say, I will force you to follow me. The choice is yours today. And I'm praying for you today, right here on the Mount of Olives, that you and I will make the greatest of all decisions to follow Jesus Christ and be true to his word. Lots of boys and girls in our church have asked me about koala bears. Of course, koala bears are famous to the land down under. I've seen lots and lots of koala bears, and they're the most cuddly, cutest little creatures on the face of the earth. In fact, they don't live on the face of the earth, they live up gum trees. And here today to tell you a little bit about koala bears is my wife, Beverly. Would you please welcome her today? Well, as John just said, koalas are certainly near the top of everybody's list of the world's cutest animals. It's easy to see why people love them. They are covered with thick, fuzzy hair and look like they were made to be cuddled. In fact, koalas look so much like teddy bears, people call them koala bears. However, and here's the surprising part, koalas are not bears as they belong to an unusual group of mammals called marsupials. Like other marsupials, but unlike bears, koalas have pouches that they use for carrying their babies, and more about that in a moment. To see koalas in their natural home, you would have to travel to my homeland of Australia. Even though the scientists tell us that they're not koala bears, we call them koala bears anyway. Koalas, like kangaroos, are born before they are completely formed. 
At birth, they are incredibly small. A baby is about three quarters of an inch or 19 millimeters long and weighs a couple of grams. To give you a better idea of their size, a baby koala could fit on this five cent piece. They cannot see or hear because their ears and eyes are still not complete. But listen to this. Within a few minutes of birth, they can crawl up into their mother's pouch, attach themselves to a nipple, a good supply of milk. They stay there for another six months and then emerge completely formed. If you ever invite a koala to dinner, and it would have to be dinner because they sleep during the daytime and eat at night, so if you invite them, you won't need to fuss very much because they are very simple eaters. Just give them a big bunch of eucalyptus leaves and they'll be just the happiest little bears. Now don't let their soft cuddly look fool you because underneath the fur they have a lot of muscle, particularly in their arms and shoulders which allows them to hang, climb and live in trees. They may climb more than 150 feet or 45 meters to the top of a swaying eucalyptus tree to get some good leaves. Or they may leap through the air to another tree. If the trees are far apart, they will climb down and walk with an awkward swaying motion. But if they are chased, because they are a bit uncomfortable on the ground, but if they're chased, they can run almost as fast as a rabbit. There are more than 600 kinds of eucalyptus trees in Australia, but koalas can only eat from 20 kinds as the others are poisonous. Now, how can they tell the difference between a poisonous and a non-poisonous leaf? It's all in the nose. The nose knows, as the saying goes. As you can see, they have a large nose for such a small animal. God gave them a big nose so that they can sniff every leaf to be sure it is fit to eat. And if it doesn't smell exactly right, the koala will pass it by. Just another amazing God-given instinct. Yes, God certainly gave us some beautiful animals to enjoy. And may we all be responsible in preserving the environment and protecting these animals for future generations. I've entitled this talk today, If I Had Only One Last Sermon to Preach. In other words, if this were my last sermon, what would I preach? I've thought about it, what would I preach if I had only one more sermon to preach? And in fact, it became my last sermon. As I thought about this, I thought, would I preach on the prophecies? No, no, wouldn't preach on the prophecies, they're important, but I'd preach on something which I think is more important than anything in the world. I would preach on the love of God. What is God like? The God whom we serve. Well, some people have said that God is like a vast computer. A vast computer that has no feeling, no emotion, 
that runs the universe just like a super brain. But a person, no, not a person, simply a thing that has tremendous capacity for logic and all of those things. Is God like that? Others have the idea that perhaps God is an angry person. Many people think that God is, is angry and he's angry with them and he's angry with the world. I guess some of you saw the movie, Mummy Dearest. And here is a mother who is a psychopath and she punishes her little girl because her little girl is not perfect. It's very difficult for a little girl like this to grow up well adjusted when the mother is a psychopath. Some people think that God is a psychopath. Like a father and a husband who is a perpetual drinker. He's drinking all the time, he's a drunkard and he terrorizes his family. Some people think that God is like this because they see God as they see their parents. But God is not a computer and he's not a psychopath. He's not an angry person. Neither is he an indifferent person. I was told some time ago about a man who was married to this beautiful girl, absolutely beautiful girl. He did not even, after the wedding, he did not even acknowledge her or speak to her or show her any recognition. And when she prepared his meals, he would take them with a grunt. Some people think God is like that, that he's an indifferent person. He doesn't hate us and probably doesn't love us, but he's made us, and he's left us on this earth. We've got to struggle on by ourselves, so he's indifferent. But the Bible tells us that God is like none of these people that I have mentioned today. The Bible teaches that God is a loving person and he cares for us more than any of us can ever understand. And how can we know this? Because if you want to know what God is like, you need to look at Jesus and see what he was like. Would you take your Bibles, please, and come with me to uh, John chapter 14, verses 5 to 10. John chapter 14, and uh, verses 5 down to 10. John chapter 14, and verses 5 down to 10. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you want to know what God the Father is like, you need to carefully examine the life of Jesus. 
Now, as you know, we're running a series of meetings in this church. We had a wonderful meeting here last night. Wonderful meeting. The Spirit of God was here last night. When I went home, I read through my Bible. I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not every word, but I read through it quickly. And I picked out little pictures of Jesus that show us what he's like. I want you to notice these acts in the great drama of his life. And the first act I want you to notice is entitled Jesus and the Babies. Would you please come over here to Luke 18, verse 15 and onwards. Luke 18 and verse 15 and onwards. I want you to see how Jesus associated with people, how he got along with people. Luke chapter 17, verse 15 and onwards. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 15 and onwards. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This tells me that Jesus is not stuffy or unapproachable, but that Jesus is warm and loving and kind. The disciples were churchmen. And so when the children came crowding around Jesus, they tried to protect him. They certainly respected him and loved him. And they said, don't come too close to the Lord because he's too busy for you. But Jesus loved babies and he loved little children. That tells me that God loves babies and he loves kids. That tells me he's a nice person. The second act in the drama is Jesus and the lady who was caught in the act. Would you please come over here to John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. This is one of my favorite stories. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, dear friends. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's an interesting thing that the Pharisees managed to find a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I don't know why they didn't bring the man. Oh, I think I do know. I think I do know. I think some of the Pharisees had been sleeping with her. And this is borne out by the fact that Jesus wrote down and wrote in the dust, in the sand, and as the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the priests and the rest of them, the pastors and the rest of them, the elders and the deacons, as they looked over his shoulder, they saw the secrets of their own lives. That's why they didn't bring a man. That's why they brought her. Because they were the guilty ones too. Most likely they had all been sleeping with her. Most likely they had all been using her. Now, some would think because God is a righteous God and Jesus was God, that this would, be an, would have been an ideal opportunity for Jesus to say, put this woman to death because she deserves it. Some would have said this was an ideal opportunity for Jesus to leave, to read this woman the right act concerning her life of sin, but he did none of those things. Jesus did not condemn her, Jesus forgave her, and Jesus saved her. And that's what God is like. Pastor Robert Spangler was one of my dear friends. As you all know, he was killed in a car accident out here in Los Angeles a few years ago now. He preached a sermon on this. And the sermon was entitled, Picking Up Stones or Picking Up People. The Pharisees were good at picking up stones. Jesus didn't pick up stones. Jesus picked up people. Amen. Lots of people today in the church, in the world, who are good at picking up stones. They pick up stones when they take people to court. I heard only recently, just a few days ago, about a young couple who were being sued by a high church official, actually being sued by a church leader. That's not picking up people, that's picking up stones. That's the act of the Pharisee. But Jesus was not like the Pharisees, and Jesus, being God, showed us the very best qualities, compassion and kindness and forgiveness. Another wonderful story that shows us what Jesus was really like, what God is like, is entitled Jesus and the Rebellious Teenager. Now that's a great story and you know it off by heart. I want you to come over here to Luke chapter 15 because you know where I'm going. Luke chapter 15, Jesus and the rebellious teenager. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11 and onwards. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to them, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Of course, the father here is our Lord. The father here is God. He's a loving father who never forgets the bad boy. And even though the bad boy has done some terrible things, we should not have a lot of sympathy for this boy and excuse his selfishness and his meanness. But the father sees beyond the selfishness and the meanness and he sees the boy. And in his heart, while the boy is a long way from home, the father is longing for the boy. And when the boy decides to go home because of the spirit of the father that is reaching the boy, the father sees him coming and runs and puts his arms around this smelly larrikin, this dirty boy, and kisses him. Then he puts a robe around him and even a ring on his finger goodness me he puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and he forgives the boy not only does he forgive the boy but he takes the smelly creature into his house and says you are my son now let's have a feast and let us celebrate the return of this boy. That's what God is like. God is yearning for his children to come home. God is warm in his heart towards them. He wants them back home. Some of us, if the boy belonged to us, may not have received that reception. But he doesn't kick the boy, he kisses the boy. That's what God is like. God doesn't kick people. He doesn't pick up stones. He doesn't have lawsuits. Goodness, I know of one Christian, I'm talking to a young couple here today, one Christian man who professes to be a child of God who currently has a hundred lawsuits going. <coughs> Sues people for everything. Holds high office in the church. God is not like that. God doesn't pick up stones 
He doesn't hurt people. He loves people. Now, if you go to St. Petersburg, and I think I've told you this before, and you go into the Hermitage, this wonderful Hermitage, whichever way you wish to say it, you'll see there the famous painting by Rembrandt. It's called The Prodigal Son. And if you see that, it'll touch you. I just go there and I stand there and I just gaze at it. That's my main reason for going to the Hermitage whenever I visit St. Petersburg, to look at the prodigal son. Because there is an old Jewish father. He obviously looks like a Jew. You can pick him that he is a Jew. Everything about him tells you that he is a member of the house of Israel. And he's a distinguished old man. And there kneeling before him is this dirty, smelly boy. With his shoes off, oh, one shoe is still on, just hanging on a little bit. And the boy is dirty. And standing behind the father is the Pharisee. He's a very upright, correct fellow. And he's standing there. He's not saying anything. He doesn't need to say anything. Just standing there, looking disdainful. But the old father has got his hands on the boy's shoulders. And he's gazing at the boy. He should look at the face. It's an amazing face. Old wrinkled up face. The old eyes are peering at the boy. That's what God is like. God is not a great debater, you know. Sometimes we think that Christianity is a matter of who is the smartest person and who knows the most theology and who can debate the best. That's all irrelevant to Christianity. Christianity is learning after we are saved to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say come like him, I mean to become kind and gracious and forgiving. Now certainly one of my favorite stories and yours too is the story of Jesus and the prostitute. That's found in Luke chapter 7 verse 36 and onwards. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 and onwards. This is just a wonderful story that tells us what God is like. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him, and what kind of woman she is, for she is a sinner. Now it says here, my beloved friends, that he said this to himself. He only thought it to himself because God heard him. God hears what we are thinking here today. So what you are thinking here in church, what you think during the week, and nobody knows, don't be deceived. God knows. 
Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now there's a big hush. Do you know why there's a big hush? Because there is some evidence that Simon was the man who got this woman involved in the life of prostitution. There's some evidence for this. So here is the town prostitute, but Simon has been using her. And so Simon certainly knows what sort of woman she is. He knows a lot about her. And so when she comes into this gathering to the dinner, and there she is pouring the alabaster, alabaster vase over him with all the perfume. And as she is putting down a long hair, which in itself he would have said was most unladylike, but she let down a long hair and kissed his feet and she cried over his feet and wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped his feet with her long hair. He said, if Jesus were God, he would know what she's like. He had good reason to know what she was like because he helped to make her what she was like. And so Jesus says in the midst of the big assembly and everybody's sitting there, everybody is prim and proper and upright. Everybody is sitting there and there's sanctimonious smugness. And so when Jesus hears Simon thinking, he says, Simon, I've somewhat to say to you. Goodness, I can imagine the blush rising in Simon's face. What's he going to blurt out now? But God was even kind to Simon, though he didn't deserve it. God is kind to stuffy church people who are self-righteous. I heard in one part of the world where I was running an evangelistic campaign, and of course I preached against this strongly, that when a girl gets into trouble, she's made to come up the front of the church and publicly confess her sins. And how it happened, after she has been interrogated by the elders of the church, this only ever happens to the girls. But the poor girl is brought up the front of the church and made to make a full confession before the church so that the church will be purified. The question is, who is going to purify those religious humbugs? And if the truth of the matter were known, how many of those sanctimonious ones led similar girls into a life of sin? You remember this, my friend, that when you point a finger at somebody, notice this, when you point one finger, at least three point back at you. You point a finger and three points back at you. Simon had quite a few fingers pointing back at him, but the Lord didn't let on. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. 
Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say, grumble, 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 among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Do you wonder what God is like? That is what God is like. God is a person who hears what we think. God is a person who will even cover up for the Pharisee. He will not embarrass the Pharisee publicly. But his heart went out to that woman. Don't you think she loved him? You know why she loved him? Because he wasn't like the rest of the church members. He was warm and kind and forgiving and gracious and very, very wise. That's what God is like. Now the next story is Jesus and Peter. Would you come here to Mark 16, verse 6 and 7? Mark chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. Please notice it in your Bible. Mark chapter 16 and verse 6 and 7. Now the angels are talking to the, to the disciples. Mark chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. Don't be alarmed, he said, at least the angel said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, why did God send this message through the angels? It was the spirit of Jesus that sent this message. He said, go and tell the disciples. And then he added the words, and Peter. Why? Because a short time before, when our Lord was being interrogated and knocked around and beaten up by the riffraff of Jerusalem, when Jesus needed a friend more than any other time in his life, the man who made the greatest boasts betrayed him. When Jesus needed a friend, somebody to stand by his side and say, I'm with that man and I love him and I will stand with him. Peter said, I don't know him. Then he started to curse and use filthy language. The Bible tells us that the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. 
never said a word. Peter went out and wept bitterly. And what an awful Sabbath Peter passed through. What a terrible Friday night, terrible Sabbath, terrible Saturday night. Guilty, feeling dirty, feeling rotten, feeling a scumbag. But Jesus sent him a message. Go and tell my disciples and Peter. What is God like? Well, God is incredibly kind, isn't he? Incredibly forgiving. He forgives even the person who denies and betrays. This tells me there's hope and forgiveness and restoration to the family through the grace of God. Now the next story is called Jesus and the Short Man. Jesus and the Short Man. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And this is certainly not about Pastor Harold Harker. <laughs> Luke chapter 19, verses 1 and onwards. Jesus and the Short Man. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. It's a wonderful story. Luke 19, verses 1 and onwards. You got it? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Does anybody like a tax collector? <laughs> um, I heard uh, a singer once with the Bill Gaither group. Uh, he had a great song. He said that they were going to make uh, Willie Nelson in charge of the... Uh, uh, taxation department, you know, the IRS. But uh, this man was the chief tax collector. So nobody liked him. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 and onwards. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. If you're a chief tax collector, wait till you hear the rest of this sermon. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Of course he was. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So we call him Shorty. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. But he had initiative. He was short with initiative. Short and smart. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I may, must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, 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 mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, he got converted on the spot. And if you're converted on the spot, there's going to be a change in your life. The old Scrooge becomes generous. I don't think there are going to be any mean people in heaven. This is just my opinion. I don't think there are going to be any mean people in heaven. Jesus can save the prostitutes. See, they're pretty generous, I'm told. But he couldn't save a mean person unless that mean person repented of his sin. You've got to repent of your sin. Now, if you're the sort of person who goes in, goes out to eat with your friends, and you never ask for the bill, 
you're a real shorty. You got a real problem. You're not a very nice person. You're not. You know, don't you know people are like that? You say, good goodness, you don't want to go out of them because never, you know, they'll never pay the bill. They can come to your house a hundred times and eat like hogs. But they'll never invite you out to their place. Something like that, you know? You, you've met people like that. Well, this man, Zacchaeus, when he got to know Jesus, he became generous. That's what God is like. God is generous. Zacchaeus stood up and said, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay back 400%. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Listen to this very carefully, what I want to tell you about this man because this is, this is pretty good stuff. He was an outcast, but God cares for outcasts. And the amazing thing here, he knew his name. He even knew the name of this weasel who was chiseling people out of their homes. You know, there are some people, religious people, and they try to steal people's homes. Ugh. They're short in every way. But Jesus knew his name. Now, if he lived in California, he would have said, Hi, Zacchaeus. But he said, Zacchaeus, you come to... He knew his name. And he redeemed him and he saved him. So I want you to know there's hope and there's forgiveness and there's mercy even for the tax collector no one is important. God knows all of us. That's what God's like. He knows us by name. The story number seven, act number seven in the drama of his life, I've entitled Jesus and His Cross. Four revelations of the love of God. I thought about this a lot. Four revelations from the cross that tell me what God is like. Most men have got a very low threshold of pain. I have a dear friend who will faint on the sight of a hypodermic needle. Most men are like that. When they come to draw blood or anything else, we men sort of cringe. That's why the women have the babies. This is true. Much more brave than men. But here Jesus is being nailed to a cross. My friend, this entailed awful pain. You and I don't have any idea about this. We're so far removed from these things that we have no idea so much out of touch. But when he was being nailed to the cross, bits of blood and tissue and flesh and bone were flying. And as they're nailing him to the cross, he is saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what, they, they don't know what they're doing. That's what God is like. 
Even when God has tortured, he prays for his enemies. Then as the thief on the cross turned to him and said, Lord, remember, remember me, because he saw what a wonderful person, so kind and so gracious and so loving. He said, Lord, remember me. Jesus said, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. In the midst of the pain and the suffering and the anguish and the heartache, he thought of a dying thief and gave him heaven. Standing at the foot of the cross were the women. The women. And John. The rest had run away. They were brave, weren't they? And in his last breath, almost, he said, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. He thought of his mother. That's what God is like. He thought of his mother. And he thought of the world. He thought of the world that was going down to hell. Look at Matthew 27, please. All of these things tell us what God is like. Matthew 27, verse 39 to 42. Matthew 27, verse 39 to 42. Matthew 27, verse 39 and onwards. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourselves. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. It's very hard to put up with ridicule. It's really hard. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So the cry of the crowd was, come down. Now, if I'd been on the cross, I could not have come down. If you'd been on the cross, you could not have come down. But he could have come down any moment he'd wanted to. He could have said, I'm tired of these ungrateful, unloving, selfish hypocrites. He could have come down from the cross in a burst of glory and destroyed the whole lot of them. But he chose not to come down from the cross because if he had come down, all of us would have gone to hell. And so we're told in the scriptures that this young man who was God took hold of the great Roman nails and hung on to them till his fingers were white by, after hanging on to them for so long, his fingers became white. He, he hung on to the nails until his body collapsed under the strain. 
He did not come down because he thought of the world. And he knew the world was lost without his sacrifice. That's what God is like. We see in the cross mercy, courage, forgiveness, a great knowledge of the heart of man, hope and restoration. And all of these traits are summed up in one word. That word is love. That's why the Bible says God is love. Just let us be honest, maybe for the first time in our lives. Most of us are rather petty people. Mean, selfish, unreliable, self-centered, moody, grasping, argumentative. We go through life hurting person after person while we claim the name of God. Most of us are like that. But the story of the scriptures tell us that God loves us just the same. Because he's not like us. He is love. He is kindness. He is mercy. As they sing the song, more than wonderful, more than marvelous. Another song, he's the champion of love. If I had only one sermon to preach and this were my last, I would preach this sermon because it tells me what God is like and God is love. He loves you in spite of you and he loves me in spite of me. Little wonder John wrote his closest earthly companion God is love. Far better than any of us have ever dared to think. It has been said by a theologian that man is much worse than he ever feared to think. But God is much better than he ever dared to hope. He is a God worthy of our love, worthy of our devotion, worthy of our praise, and worthy of our worship. He alone is worthy. He is a God worth following. And a God worth serving. God is love. Shall we pray? We thank you, our Father, that you have not dealt with us according to our sins, nor judged us according to our iniquities. 
We thank you that as a father pities his child, so the Lord pities those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. We thank you that the God who was at the center of the universe, in whose breath, in whose hands is our breath, is not a vast computer that has no emotion and no feeling, but just a mass of facts. We thank you that the God we serve is not a sadist, a psycho case, a person who is mean and vindictive and who expects perfection of little children who stumble and who drop the jam on the kitchen floor, who gets, get their shoes scuffed. We thank you that he is not a terrorist, we thank you that he's not an indifferent God, an absentee landlord, an absent-minded Santa Claus. But we thank you today that he's pure love, and that the greatest revelation of this marvelous God was seen in a young man when he walked the streets of Jerusalem. All his life from the cradle to the cross, he was kind and forgiving, courageous, stern with the hypocrite, but still loving, gentle with the prostitute, the profligate of society, the outcast, the Scrooge, the miserly man, we thank you that in all of these things, in his dealings with human beings like us, he showed the character of the Father. We thank you that he's more than wonderful, more than, more than marvelous, that he is the champion of love. And our Father, today we would respond to the love of God by surrendering our hearts to you. You alone are worthy. And we kneel and we worship you because you alone are worthy. We give you our hearts. We will follow you. We will be true to you because it is through love that love is awakened and we are learning to love you. Deepen that love in our hearts. Bless these dear people today, not just with a revelation of our sinfulness, Lord, because that would overwhelm us, but with a revelation of who you are and what you are. And we thank you that you are a very wonderful, nice, kind, considerate, gracious person. We're so glad that we are allowed to join your family. 
We worship you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.